Hey everybody, I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Breber. And this is Nerd Sesh. Darwin. Welcome everybody into a special NBA trade deadline edition of Nerd Sesh. We are joined today by Peyton T. Gallagher, who uh, didn't have anything to do, so we thought we'd bring his NBA expertise to the table. Peyton, how are we doing today? Uh, doing well. Um, middle initial, always necessary. I know, I was, gonna, I was thinking about that every time. It's He's Stephen A. It's Peyton T. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to really establish a brand for you here, Peyton. I, you know, sometimes people have to earn things. Sometimes people are given things, and I, I suppose that that's this. Enough about you. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about the NBA. So there's a bunch of rumors going around. Obviously, I'm not sure how active this trade deadline is going to end up being. I'm a little bit dubious of all the rumors, but. Let's talk about the trade that actually happened. So there was a massive trade yesterday uh, involving mainly Clint Capella and Robert Covington. It was a four-team trade, 12 players. The Houston Rockets acquired Robert Covington, Jordan Bell, and a Warriors 2024 second rounder. The Hawks acquired Clint Capella uh, and Nene. Minnesota acquired a 2020 Nets first rounder. Malik Beasley, Juancho Aaron Gomez, Evan Turner, Jared Vanderbilt, and they have waived Chandler Parsons to make room for, excuse me, the Hawks have waived Chandler Parsons to make this trade work. And then Denver got the 2020 Rockets first rounder, Shabazz Napier, Keita Bates-Diop, Noah Vonley, and Gerald Green, who I assume they're going to cut because he's on an expiring $2.5 million deal and he's out for the season. So let's start from the top. What would you guys give the Rockets for this trade? And do you think that overall they come out better from this? I would give the Rockets a C-plus here. I mean, I don't think giving up Clint Capella is the best thing for them this season. I don't quite understand the trade. Yeah. Carson, I'm going to ask, or Peyton, either either one of you, who's going to run the five for the squad? Um, McMahon chimed in yesterday and said that they intend to put P.J. Tucker at the five to start. And I, I don't know how that works. They And they will get destroyed by teams in the playoffs. They can't rebound. They literally can't. And P.J. Tucker's great. At 6'5", he goes harder on the boards than just about anyone. But you're talking about elite big men in the Western Conference. And this is why I dislike this deal, because I understand Capella's... I, I would give this trade a C-. I understand Capella's had a rough year. They're 22-17 and 17 with him. They're 10-1 and 1 without him. They're four points per 100 possessions worse with him, off, with him on the floor than off the floor. They haven't been using the pick and roll as much. And I understand, obviously, when you have Russell Westbrook in there, it really hurts to have two non-shooters on the floor at all times, which you have with Westbrook and Capella. But down the line, in playoff series, you need Clint Capella there for defense. This is a league average defense. It's about to get worse than that. And you can't look at it and say, well, Covington is as good, if not better, of an individual defender. Yeah, but he can't guard centers. And Covington is not all that much better than Daniel House. He's a worse spot-up shooter. And yes, he's a better defender, but it doesn't matter when there's no one there to guard centers. He's a thirty. He's a sub-35% shooter from three, so he's solid, but he's become so overrated as an asset. And if anything, I think Houston got worse from this deal. And then they also gave up a first-rounder, so I don't understand why they were so insistent on moving on from Capella, who in a playoff series is a valuable guy to have. I completely agree on that. And do you think the Timberwolves, I thought preliminary when they were asking for two first round picks or they were trying to get D'Angelo Russell, I thought they were asking too much. I almost think they got their value back by giving up Robert Covington. What, what did you think? 
I thought the Timberwolves came out the best from this trade. I would give the Timberwolves a B plus. I'm pretty much neutral to maybe negative mm-hmm. on everyone else because it was a weird trade overall. But you get a first rounder for Robert Covington, who's gone anyways after this season. You get Malik Beasley, who it looks like they're going to look to re-sign. I wonder if that price tag is going to be too high because I think he might be like $15 million a year. But Aaron Gomez, they can choose what they want to do with him. Really, all that matters is that they got a first rounder for Robert Covington. That's more than enough for me. Uh, how far is Beasley off, Rocco? They're very different. So Rocco gives you defensive versatility that you don't get from Beasley. I would argue that Beasley is overall a more skilled offensive player. And I actually don't think that that's arguable because he's so dynamic athletically. He's got a better handle, probably a better shooter off the dribble. Rocco is really a spot up shooter. And then he's great on defense, which is why I don't get why. Like, yes, he's really good at that. But I don't get why he's become so celebrated when he's not even a knockdown shooter. Like, I think that if you're going to run these small lineups, if you want to run P.J. Tucker at the five, I would rather have Ben McLemore and Daniel House in there. And you can run those five, even though it's not great defensively, and still have the option to have a Capella lineup than to completely give up that option. Because Isaiah Hardenstein is like, Mm -hmm. he can score, actually. He's got nice touch around the rim. You can't play defense. No. It's going to be problematic for them. I will say they can run lineups now that become somewhat tough to cover Mm -hmm. because of the penetrating ability of Harden Mm -hmm. and Westbrook. And then if you play Eric Gordon with that that backcourt, you're you're not going to get any defense. Just surrender that. You're not going to get any rebounding. You can get over that as well. But if they can go five out with lineups that go with Gordon Covington and um, P.J. Tucker with their their backcourt— That is at least intriguing offensively. Here's the thing that concerns me. I don't know if they would play at the pace that they need to for that to be successful. Because you got to run. Guess who hates running? James Harden. He wants to slow it down. He wants to dribble the heck out of the ball. And he wants to get shots on his own terms. So if you're going to run, Russ is going to be the one running the show. And I don't know if that's what they want. So it's just complicated. Well, and also, if you want to run, you have to get rebounds, which they will not be doing much of. No. The interesting aspect of this to me is uh, this could very well be – it's going to be very impactful coming down to the playoff race at the end of the season. I mean, they've got uh, a big – I think their last game of the season is against the Suns. I mean, you're going to have to go up against a pretty good defensive center in Aaron Baines, and I don't know how well they're just going to match up with teams that have – Plain and simple, seven-footers. I don't know how they're going to out-rebound these teams. And as well, Carson, we're going to be able to see this firsthand on Friday when the Rockets play the Suns. It's going to be very interesting to see. Uh, My next question for both of you guys is, do any of the guys the Nuggets um, obtained, do any of them crack any minutes in the lineup? No, but the Nuggets are the deepest team in the league, and that's part of the luxury that they have had all season is they can give up Malik Beasley and they can give up Juancho Hernan Gomez and it doesn't hurt them because Hernan Gomez wasn't even playing at the start of the year and MPJ still has games where he doesn't play when he's healthy. I do like Keita Bates-Diop a little bit. I really liked him coming out of the draft. Mm-hmm. He's a versatile offensive big. He can shoot the three well enough at 33% this year. He's older. I think he's 24 so he's probably not going to develop that much but I do like him as a guy you can throw in there especially while they're still getting healthy. Napier sucks and Von Lay's irrelevant so it's really the first rounder. They got something for a guy that they were going to lose. Yeah. And in doing that, also open up minutes for Michael Porter Jr. to play. Yes. And that, I think, is the best thing they got out of this. Absolutely. MPJ, 14 minutes per game this season. I think we will see that jump. And whenever he is on the floor, he is productive. Now, defensively, he's still pretty stiff. He's still pretty upright. He has a hard time reading the pick and roll, a really hard time. But he's just an all around bucket offensively, and he can do it with or without the ball. So, him getting more minutes can't really be a bad thing to me.
Let's move on to the one team that we haven't really addressed here, but one of the more significant acquisitions in this deal, if not the most significant, is Clint Capella to the Hawks. What do you guys think about this move for them? You know, you said that you thought the Timberwolves won this. I thought the Hawks won this. I mean, you get a really good rim-running center in Clint Capella, and I'm very intrigued to see the duo of Trey Young and Capella. I know the Rockets were quick to move off of him, but the Hawks didn't give up a whole lot in this trade. You give up Evan Turner and Brooklyn's first-round pick, which, well, what is it going to land, like 20? I mean, somewhere in that range. Yeah. And then you give up Evan Turner, who at this point, in my opinion, is just cap space. So I love the deal. Nene's probably not going to get any minutes, but I love the fact that they brought in Clint Capella to play alongside Trey Young. Yeah, if I had to pick a second winner, it would be the Hawks. And what I've been saying all season long is long term, I'm concerned about the Hawks because they don't have a real defensive center. John Collins offensively as a rim runner, as a dude that can stretch the floor now and can score out of the post. That's what he really did at Wake Forest and in his early in his rookie season in the pros. He's a great offensive, versatile big man. But defensively, he's just not good enough. And with Trey Young at point guard, that is a liability. That will be a liability for a decade. And you need someone that can show up that defense Clint Capella at 25 years old, he's not all that expensive. It's, what is it, three years, 51 million left. That's not a bad deal in the modern NBA. So I like this trade for them. He's not really that far outside their timeline because he's young. And you're right, he's a nice compliment to, to Trey Young in the pick and roll game. So I like this deal for them. I do too. I think it's smart. It does pretty much, they're going to have a pick at the top of this draft. And it does pretty much eradicate any possibility of them looking into the well and seeing... James Weissman is a guy yeah. as they pull up. Yeah. Um, that is good. So in this sense, you know what you're doing coming into this next year, and you can start to plan for it. You can start to scheme for that. And that's probably going to be either Anthony Edwards, the hometown kid yeah. from Atlanta, yeah. plays at Georgia, yeah. or Danny Avidia. And that becomes a very interesting team to me. Yeah, very quickly if they get one of those two guys because looking into next year, I want to how much of a contender in this hypothetical would they be? And let's nothing's going to happen in free agency probably this summer, so let's just assume it's kind of a similar situation. In the East, in yes, in the East, where does a Hawks team that starts Trey Young, Anthony Edwards, Hunter Collins, and Capella? with Herter, Reddish, et cetera, off the bench. Where do they finish in the East? I think it's really dependent on the development of Hunter and Cam Reddish. And I also wonder if their plan is to keep John Collins because he's Whoa. there. Yeah. I. It's tough to see them playing together for me because, yeah, Collins can space the floor, but it, I, he likes to operate down low. Yeah. And he's best as a rim runner and as a dude that's operating out of the interior. So I think it's going to be interesting to see but I think that that team could maybe push for an eight seed. I don't think they're anywhere near legitimate because they're still so young. That's the thing with this Hawks team. That's why it didn't make sense when people picked them as a playoff team this year. Like five of their most significant players are 21 or younger. And the way I see it, I don't see the 76ers dropping off. They're still going to be there. The Nets are going to get better with Kevin Durant coming back. I mean, the only spot I see the Hawks contending for is that eight spot. And I'm just worried about them defensively. I know DeAndre Hunter can play, but you just have a liability, as you said, with John Collins. And if Collins is there, they're just not going to be a good defensive team. So I think eight seed is their peak. And Collins defending fours isn't ideal either. I mean, he is a center. He's just not a good defensive center, which I think might be an issue for him long-term in his NBA career. He's a guy that will intrigue teams, 
but he can't play defense. And we've seen there are great offensive centers. Now, these people are different. You know, Ennis Cantor is a great offensive center in a very different way from John Collins because he's not as versatile. But no one really values Ennis Cantor that much because people just crush him on the other side of the ball. Well, I was going to throw Jabari Parker out there. I mean, yeah, a sure. pretty good offensive player. Or, but- or to keep with the real centers, Jaleel Okafor. Mm-hmm. That dude can score out of yeah. the post, but he can't guard anyone. Uh, breaking news, Memphis has agreed to a deal to send Andre Iguodala to wow. Miami. Wow. Well, that's a big deal. Let's talk about that. What does everyone think? I mean, is it, I've not seen yet. Woj has not tweeted what is going to be sent back to Memphis. Um, and Iggy has agreed to a $30 million extension whoa, with the Heat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's whoa, a Pat whoa, Riley whoa. overpay. 36 um, years old. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Um, if anybody can rejuvenate him, it probably is Spolstra. But, I, I mean— the fact that he is not going to a different title contender almost, I feel like, helps the title contention hopes of a team like the Heat. Here's the thing with the Iggy fit in Miami. Miami really has one need, and it's a elite second score alongside Jimmy Butler. And because Kendrick Nunn is your number two guy right now, mm-hmm. and as great as Bam is, he's not a natural scorer of the basketball. This does not fill that void. He's great defensively. He's a brilliant playmaker and a secondary ball handler, but... I don't know if I love it. He's probably their like eighth man too because they're so deep. And I mean, I think this is a good move for the locker room. I mean, it's a bunch of young guys in Miami. Andre Iguodala gives you that, you know, postseason experience. But outside of that, yeah, he'll give you defensive minutes. He'll give you, I don't know. Can Iggy score anymore? He's just so old. He can't score. He's going to have to hit. If he hits 35% of his threes, you're happy Mm -hmm. with that. And he's only taking open threes and he doesn't really create for himself. So. It's the passing and it's the defense. And another question I think this raises, so I guess this means the Heat are not going to go after maybe a Danilo Gallinari who would have been rumored that they would be mm-hmm. interested in, who I would much, I, I would have much preferred that they acquire him because he is that dynamic scorer of the basketball that they've needed. Maybe the Thunder weren't going to move off him, but he's on an expiring. So I think if they really wanted to prime away, they could have the two-year extension. I guess yeah. that's I guess that's the final push they had to say, so don't go to the Lakers, don't go to the Clippers, come here. That's a little bit disturbing to me for a guy that hasn't played all year and is 36. Especially for a team that, you know, is young and is probably going to get better next year with Bam improving, with Hero improving. Um, Yeah, that's a little bit mind-boggling to me. You thought Pat Riley might have learned after, you know, giving all this money to Deion Waiters and giving all this money to Kelly Olynyk and et cetera. Myers Leonard, still a big contract that they have. They must have moved off of somebody, though. Yeah. so um, they move off of— Waiters has too much time left on his deal, right? He still has two full years after this, I think. I What would Memphis even want? So obviously Memphis is probably going to take back something to equate the salary. Yeah. And then then what? It's not like that he'd have picks to trade. I don't know. I'm Multiple second rounders, maybe? Maybe. I don't know. This is, this is an interesting trade. Um, Definitely. I thought they might be a sneaky Drew Holiday candidate if they could put together, cobble together the yeah. contracts. I thought that would be a really good fit for them. Um, that's off the table now. Yeah, no, this is a fascinating trade, and I think, you know, Rob Polinka is pretty upset that the Lakers weren't able to execute this one. Yeah, I mean, that's always been the ideal fit for them. The only issue was they couldn't really trade for him because you have to move KCP to make that trade happen, and with Rich Paul around, I think it's hard for the Lakers to move KCP, even when it's the right basketball decision. Yeah, um, the the Clippers obviously also— come to mind as the other team that would have made sense. And now what I think this does is it makes for an 
interesting domino effect here as we get closer to the deadline. Yeah. Pressure's on more so, I think, on the Clippers than it is yeah. the Lakers to make a move. I Does agree. this force their hand to trade for one of the Morrises or to trade for somebody? I don't know who yet. Apparently, the Clippers were in a little bit on Capella poking around the edges to see if they could get him. I think you're going to get a move from one of those two teams, and this probably triggers them to get very aggressive. Well, with the Clippers, I had heard big rumors about Tristan Thompson or Kevin Love. Yeah, there was discussion about Kevin Love. So, I mean, Carson, do they have the cap? What do they give up to get someone like Kevin Love? So, here is the Clippers' advantage to the Lakers. The Lakers have one asset, and his name is Kyle Kuzma. They don't have Mm -hmm. a tradable first-round pick until the year 3000, whereas the Clippers have their first-round pick this year. So, that's a legitimate asset. But apparently they've made Landry Shamit untouchable, which makes it hard because he's he's your second asset, right? He's how yeah. you get in the door. Maybe you can convince someone on the value of a Jerome Robinson, but the Cavs, based on what I've heard from people that actually know NBA people like a Zach Lowe or a Adrian Wojnarowski, the Cavs still still very much believe in the value of Kevin Love, and they're not going to move off him for just like a late first round pick and some throw in player. I don't quite understand that because. What value? I know that the Cavaliers value him, but why? You're not going anywhere. You're not making the playoffs. You're just wasting his time there. They just don't want to get shortchanged because they want they want to wait until, you know, they have him under control for five years. Yeah. Even though he has been a baby this season. Yeah, it's been bad. Like, what's so fascinating about the shift towards, towards you know, player mobility is some of these dudes have stripped themselves of their dignity. I mean, this to me has been pretty embarrassing for Andre Iguodala, the fact that he didn't show up to yeah, his team. Yeah, I agree. That he's on. he was on a playoff team and he didn't acknowledge them and he's getting paid $17 million. Kevin Love throwing tantrums out there on the court. This is a downside of player empowerment, in my opinion, is you know guys are taking it even further and further and guys that aren't all that good like an Andre Iguodala. Yeah, it's fascinating, Carson. I mean, you know, obviously the $30 million extension indicates that probably he's going to play for them, obviously. Pat Riley doesn't. And that's you're probably right. That's what had to push it across the line is that we are going to pay you this much. Why it wasn't a one-year deal worth maybe even a little bit more. But So, okay, I'm unclear on the cap ramifications for this. Them trading for him and signing him over the cap – they're allowed to do that, correct? Yeah. If the money matched on the way out, right? right? Right. It just has to be within 75% on the way out. I'm pretty sure is the rule. So the Clippers and the Lakers, actually. So there were a lot of rumors about the Lakers trying to get a Spencer Dinwiddie or Dennis Schroeder. Now, apparently it's reported that that is unlikely. But if they were to pull that off, and again, the issue is the assets. It's Kyle Kuzma and what else? What else do you throw into sweet in that deal? Because... I'm I'm not just giving up Dennis Schroeder if I'm the Thunder. That is a valuable player who's, what, 25, 26 years old, having by far the best season of his career. A guy that has always been, you know, he's always been a little bit of a wild child. He plays at a bit of a frenetic pace. He gets tunnel vision. He can be an inconsistent shooter. This year, he's averaging like 20 a game on 47% from the field, 39% from three. He's having an incredible season, and he's young. I'm not just giving that up. Even though I get that the Thunder, the expectation was they'd have their eyes towards a rebuild. They're way too good for that. They could be the five seed easily. I could see them being better than both Houston and Dallas by the end of the season. So the Lakers have to make an inspiring offer. But if they were to somehow get one of those two guys, 
two dynamic creators off the mm-hmm. bench, they become the overwhelming title favorite to me. I completely agree. And I, if I'm the Oklahoma City Thunder, I don't understand why I would ever give up Dennis Schroeder, especially for the assets the Lakers have. Carson, what's a mock trade that you can see from L.A.? I mean, Kuzma and what? I, I genuinely can't see it. And that's why I think the trades have become unlikely. Exactly. I mean, the Thunder are in the playoff picture and... I would hold on to Schroeder. He's an impar- he's an important part yeah. of your bench. I think the Lakers could throw in maybe Taylor Horton Tucker, but the cap has to match somehow. And I don't know. Again, they have to throw in KCP to even get close to the cap matching there. And I don't know if they'd be able to do that. Well, and keep in mind also, the Thunder only have so many roster spots. They can't just take back four or five right, players. That's true. I, DeMarcus Cousins is interesting to me, especially. What's at, his, he's on a minimum deal though, right? I believe he's MLE. Yeah. So. Okay. McMenamin was saying he is somewhat kind of close to maybe being back, and that could be interesting, but I don't think so. And the other thing is, what's to say Kuzma doesn't just lose his mind not being in L.A.? Like, he's openly mocked teams like Orlando and the thought of yeah. playing there. And and he's blonde. And he's blonde. So, I don't know if Dennis— LA. You know, Yeah. Actually, though, Dennis has the patch. He's got the little thing yeah. going on. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine, I just want to throw this out there. Imagine you're the Lakers and you are handcuffed to a player like Contavious Caldwell Pope. That just stinks. That would suck. But I think that more than anything, the Lakers have been handcuffed to this roster since the start because they gave up every asset they had for a team where, you know, their bench has overperformed. It could have been worse than this. They could have been really dealing with three to four legitimate NBA players, but McGee's been great. Dwight's been great. Rondo's been good enough. Caruso's been pretty good this year. So they've been able to salvage a nice rotation. I shouldn't say salvage. Like they've had a great rotation this year, but there's always been the question of how do they improve? And that's where I think maybe Darren Collison comes in where you don't have to give up an asset and you can just bring in a guy. And that's probably why they wanted Iggy to go to the buyout market because they couldn't trade for him, but they could pay for him. Well, and that brings me to another thing. This buyout market's going to be as sparse as we've seen it in a very long time. Yeah, it's probably going to be Tristan Thompson, maybe, if they even see a reason to buy him out. And if there's enough interest on the market, there's not going to be a lot going on, I don't think at all. So sticking with moves for the Lakers and Clippers as they try to get ahead of each other in this arms race reminiscent of the Cold War, Marcus Morris is a name that has popped up a bunch. There have been talks about a Kuzma for Marcus Morris trade. There have been talks about... Landry Shamit. Now, apparently the Clippers don't want to do that. And so I wouldn't expect that to happen. But there's been talks of Danny Green. Danny Green is a better player than Marcus Morris. I'm not doing that. Kuzma is the only one that makes any sense there. But Kuzma and Marcus Morris are so similar. And Kuzma is younger and very well might be better. Well, with the news coming out of New York, with their front office getting moved, who even is executing this trade? I did. Well, no, it's still... um, Scott Perry is still there. Okay. Just Steve Mills got kicked out. Okay. So Marcus Morris is having a great season. He's shooting the lights out from three. I, I, what, a 44% or something? Yeah, 44%. But that's not his career. He's a career 37% three-point shooter. And he is still a guy that dominates the ball, slows the game down, a bunch of ISO stuff. And he's not conducive to winning, in my opinion. And he's very similar in that way. To Kyle Kuzma, I don't mean to be overly overly critical, but they're two guys that don't play all that much defense. Now, Morris has a little more toughness. Two guys that don't play that much defense, dominate the ball, like to take some shots that are a little bit questionable, but can score. They're natural scorers. So what is that? Why are you doing that deal if you're the Lakers? I mean, that's a perfect player comp. You don't need more scoring. You need players who are going to give you good defensive minutes, or you just need another ball handler. And yeah. Marcus Morris is a... 
I mean, he's a bit of a shooter, I guess, but that's not something that's going to improve the Lakers or the Clippers, in my opinion, whatsoever. And it doesn't change any of the lineup issues that they've had, whereas it's tough to play LeBron, Kuzma, and AD together, even though you would like to, because AD wants to play the four, he wants to play alongside centers. Marcus Morris doesn't solve any of that. He is positionally the exact same thing as Kuzma in that he's a bit of a tweener between a three and a four. I guess they're both modern day fours. So I just, I would not get that move from their perspective and I'm not giving up Danny Green for him. Um, another thing to note here, uh, Adrian Wildernowski just retweeted this tweet from Tig McMahon saying Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill are late scratches for the Grizzlies. So that could indicate something could be happening. There, in my opinion, is also a disproportionate amount of interest in Jay Crowder around the league. I'm telling you, three and D guys, everyone wants them. Yeah. I'm wondering who a suitor for Jay Crowder is. It could be. It could be one of the LA teams. Yeah. yeah. It could be the Clippers. And if it's between Jay Crowder and Jamichael Green, I'd probably take Jay Crowder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not a big difference, though. And that's why you wonder if they make the move. I'm trying to think about these deadline moves in the past that have, you know, been conducive to a championship. We obviously saw the Marcus All right. trade that worked out. Can you think of any other Carson that were big time that uh, I believe the Spurs um got a big man one year? I'm spacing on the name. Maybe it was I don't recall. I mean, the big time ones are, you know, Sheed going to the Pistons, another Pistons one going way back uh, when they got rid of Adrian Danley for Mark Aguirre. But in this decade, I cannot think of any that really felt like they swung championships. Well, there's Adrian Danley. That's that's right. the one that my mind went right. to. But that yeah. was that's a bygone era at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, it's going to be hard to to locate that guy, but it's more wide open than it's ever been, and teams are so close that teams are going to make moves with the mind of let's just get a little better because yeah, that might be true. enough. That's true, and that's that's very true. Actually, I think there's a lot of people who tell you a clear top three favorites. I still think it's a clear top two. I don't mean to disrespect Milwaukee. I just think we're going to see a different version of them in the playoffs. But either LA team, if they add a Darren Collison, that is significant because they're neck and neck in a lot of ways right now, and they got to try to find whatever edge they can. And I'd still give the edge to the Clippers, knowing that this bench unit has overperformed Mm -hmm. to this point. Mm -hmm. And the Clippers are probably a more talented team that has not really tried in the regular season. And Paul George and Kawhi have played less than 20 games. Right, exactly. I think when you get into a playoff series... Mm I don't think you're going to get the same kind of play out of the Lakers bench. What do you guys think? I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think Rondo will be good. I think he's a reliable guy. I think Alex Caruso does a bunch of stuff that doesn't go away in the playoffs. He's a smart player. He's a guy that plays hard, plays good defense, makes good decisions with the ball. We will see what we get out of Dwight Howard, but his role is pretty simple. It's protect the rim and it's roll to the rim. So I think that they will be good enough. The question is if they have enough firepower to me because – the the Clippers have, to me, five guys that can break games open. And obviously, you know, you have Kawhi PG, you have Trez. Although I do think Trez will be a little bit worse in the playoffs because I think he's a guy that you can sort of take away with serious prep because he's so dependent on Lou Williams. And if you want to cut off Trez in that game, I think you can. And then I think Landry Shamit has game-breaking ability because he could hit seven, eight threes in a game. And I think... The Lakers maybe have four of those guys if you throw in Kuzma and Danny Green, but it's really four legitimate star-level players versus two, and that's significant. I think the major concern for me with the Lakers bench would be that they're all on the 
old side. I mean, that you'd be fearful that they'd break down by the time we get to the playoffs. But nothing uh, that I've seen this year from the Lakers bench has said to me that has screamed, we're in trouble. We need to make a big-time move. Uh, I've liked the play of Dwight Howard. I've liked the play of Rajon Rondo. And I've been pleasantly surprised because I cited at the start of the year with you, Carson, that I, I thought this was going to be a major drawback. And this is what was going to hinder the, their chances at winning a championship. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they've overachieved in every way. Even with LeBron and AD, they've been just incredible. Some teams that haven't been so incredible, but are, I guess there's still trade talks for D'Angelo Russell between the Warriors and Timberwolves. And this was interesting to me. Kevin O'Connor reported a couple days ago that all trades involving D'Angelo Russell to the Timberwolves also involved Andrew Wiggins. Because I always thought, as a Warriors fan, Robert Covington mm-hmm. would be the main piece. And then you throw in that 2020 first mm-hmm. rounder and maybe. Okogi or maybe Gorgie Dang. I don't want Gorgie Dang, but you know, whatever you have to do to make the money work out. But apparently now some of the some of the issues have come with the Warriors don't want the 2020 first round pick. They want the 2021 unprotected first round pick because that's a better draft. But is it better to have the fifth pick in a worse draft or the 14th pick? Because if you give them a full season with D'Angelo Russell, the Timberwolves will not be the second worst team in the West again. I can tell you that much. So I didn't quite get that. What do you guys think? Is there any chance this happens? Well, I was just going to ask you, Carson, as a Warriors fan, what is the benefit of moving D'Angelo Russell? There's zero right now. That's why I think this trade is not going to happen at the deadline if they're going to move D'Angelo Russell, who's having a, I mean, I get it. It's a meaningless year. He's putting up great numbers for yeah. a really bad team this yeah. season. But I think if they move D'Angelo Russell, it's going to be in the offseason. But I think they're going to if I had to if I had to put some money on this, I would say that D'Angelo Russell was there at the start of next season and he's playing alongside Stephen Clay. I would say the only move I would make with D'Angelo from the Warriors right now at least. Because I'd like to see again, I'd like to see where their pick falls and mm-hmm. I'd like to see what the package mm-hmm. of D'Angelo Russell plus whatever that pick is mm-hmm. could get me. Mm-hmm. But the only trade I make right now is a trade that I tossed on this podcast a couple months ago. If you can convince the Sixers to give up Thibel plus Horford, I would do that. And I think that would be a great deal. But I, it seems to me like the Sixers are not all that active on the market right now. This is really interesting, Logan, because you said that you expect D'Lo to be in a Warriors uniform next year. And ever since Steph Curry went down, because of how bad those first four games, I've thought the opposite. As much as I love D'Angelo Russell as a player, I've thought he's not cohesive to winning in this system. He doesn't move without the ball. That backcourt is a serious defensive liability. But that was all on, on the premise that we could work out a deal with the Timberwolves that involved Robert Covington in that first round pick. Andrew Wiggins may be a better player than Robert Covington, but he is a $28, $30 million player. And Peyton, you're going, you know, you're doing the uncertain hand gesture. I think that is also debatable. That's why I said he may be a better player. He's kind of like, just to me, Harrison Barnes without consistent shooting ability or defense. He's more dynamic than Harrison Barnes, but Harrison Barnes is probably better out of the post. Yeah. No, I mean, Wiggins, you're right. He's not as reliable of a shooter as Barnes was. He's not all that good. And I I got really excited when he had like that eight game stretch where his playmaking Mm -hmm. looked better and when he wasn't taking as many mid-range shots. And as Minnesota has deteriorated, he has deteriorated with it. So I think so long as the 20 game sample that we will hopefully get of Steph and D'Lo together is not a disaster. I think D'Angelo Russell does come back next year. And I don't know if that's the best thing because let me tell you what was an exciting prospect to me. I know everyone's down on this draft, but there are some legitimate prospects in this draft, especially out of the top five, six guys. And the Warriors were looking to have maybe two of those top five, six picks if they worked out a deal with the Timberwolves. And I don't know who the other suitors are in the offseason. Who do you guys see really making a push for D'Lo that makes the Warriors say, well, we got to do that. 
Uh, the Suns could put together an enticing package depending on how the end of the season goes for them with their pick. Yeah. Um, that is the one that comes to mind off the top of my head. Uh, I mean, the Suns wanted Luke Kennard, who in a weird way is a comparable player to D'Angelo Russell. Like, they play similar games. They're both really good out of the pick and roll. Kennard is a guy that plays more off-ball because he's just such a light out, lights-out shooter, but they're both would be nice compliments theoretically to Book because... Book doesn't need the ball that much, but then I guess Rubio gets booted to the second unit because you mm-hmm. can't start Book at the three. I just don't know if I see it happening, but I would like it for the Suns because my issue with the Suns as far as their team building is who's your second best guy and who's your third best guy? And right now their plan is for that to be DeAndre Ayton and Kelly Oubre, although there is talk of them trading Oubre, which makes Kelly no Oubre, sense. Which would be weird because he's had a great season and I don't know if there's that hot of a market for him. Like I don't know where he goes and it seems kind of abrupt. But I like the idea of the Suns acquiring stars, absolutely. But I don't know if they actually go out and do it. Yeah. A team that I also thought of just now is the Heat. The Heat could do something interesting for D'Angelo Russell. That would be very interesting. And that would also could be very appealing for the Warriors if you're talking about maybe getting a Tyler Hero mm-hmm. in there. Ooh, I like and, that. And you don't need all that much else besides Tyler Hero because he he would be an awesome compliment in the Warriors system. I mean, you need more, but not Justice all that Winslow, much. who can't stay healthy. But if they got both. Perspective. I mean, how do you make the money work? Well, Delo's on a lot. Ba- I mean, Hero's on a rookie deal. Just yeah. w- oh, you're saying because you what have I'm to saying. throw in Winslow. Yeah. Or you could throw in Iggy with that nice big juicy <laughs> deal he just got. Maybe that's a long-term plan. I mean, uh, looking at this, now I've seen stranger things. I have seen some crazy deals go down that we didn't really expect. I I was really thinking, I thought the Timberwolves were going to get Delo. I mean, we've how long has this been a rumor? I feel like it's been a rumor since this offseason. It was since this offseason. They were the favorites. And I have thought that as well. I just thought it would come in the offseason. And I don't know if the Warriors really like Andrew Wiggins that much. I kind of hope that they don't because that's not a dude that I want to invest the future of the franchise in. It seems less likely to me now. We talked about this. The time to deal Andrew Wiggins was during that hot stretch. Yeah. But it was also hard. If you internally in Minnesota believe that he has made improvement, then you wouldn't want to give that guy up. So I think that they were in a pretty weird spot there. Let's talk about the Ubre deal. What's up with this? Why are the Suns putting him on the market and where would he go? Well, okay, we've talked about like the stretchy wing 3 and D type guys that would potentially be available. That's the best one. If you can get Kelly Ubre, that's the guy you want. Apparently, the Clippers were discussing things, but again, the Shamit thing came up and they didn't want to give up Shamit. If they could get Ubre, I think that'd be great, but I have no idea. He is a good young player who is getting better. You just paid him last offseason. He's helped co-opt this brand for your team. Yeah. Unless there's a locker room thing that we're not aware of, I have no idea why you want to get rid of him right now. The the big rumor that I've seen is Kevin Love to uh, Phoenix for a guy like Ubre. I don't really understand that on the logistics side for Cleveland. Like Cleveland will fall apart if they add Kelly Ubre to this team. And that's nothing against Kelly Ubre, but that's a lot of guys that need the ball. And Ubre, you mentioned Peyton, he can work in that 3 and D mold, but he's also a guy that can really create for himself, which is a good thing, but he's also a guy that because of that requires the ball more than a Robert Covington does. And him with Colin Sexton and Darius Garland and Kevin Porter off the bench, these are dudes that all they do is basically yeah. hammer the ball into the ground and shoot. I just think Ubre would hate it there, and I think it would not be a good basketball team. And the Cavs are proving themselves to be one of the most poorly constructed franchises in basketball right now. Now, if you're Phoenix, do you pull the trigger? Do you go ahead with a deal? And get Kevin Love? Talk about it, Peyton. I I don't think so. I I think you can do better. 
You don't know what Kevin Love you're going to get. This is a guy who is struggling to find himself in this current mess that he's in. You bring him into Phoenix. DeAndre Ayton, we don't know what the heck he is. We don't know if they want to trade him. We don't know what their long-term plan is with him. He wasn't starting for a stretch after coming back from the suspension. I just think it's it's a dysfunctional organization right now, and bringing Kevin Love in accelerates your timetable into a brick wall. Here's the argument for the Suns getting Kevin Love. He's an awesome compliment to D-Book. I think that if you if you bring D-Book back as a significant pick-and-roll ball handler, and you, you don't have to do—actually, no, you can just do—you know, D-Book handles the ball enough as is. He's awesome off-ball, but he's great with the ball. I think they could be lethal like that. Having floor spacers in Phoenix is great, and they need a second star. And this is what I was saying. They're never going to have another top draft pick. That is not going to happen. They are officially too good because Devin Booker is officially too good. And if you're getting the 11th pick in the draft, it's not likely you're going to find a star. But Kevin Love's, I mean, they're never going to have championship aspirations with Kevin Love at the same time because it puts a ceiling on them. And that's $30 million a year for the next five years to a dude that's 29 years old, I think, or 30 years old. You know, Carson, you make a really good point because you never want to be stuck in that Kemba Walker range is what I call it. Mm-hmm. You have a star so dynamic as Kemba Walker that you're never going to have a top draft pick unless he gets hurt. Yeah. And you, I think that's a really good comparison. And the Suns have got to figure out a way through the draft, through a big-time trade, through free agency to dig themselves out of the Kemba Walker range. Yeah, and maybe they could wait on a bigger guy than Kevin Love. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with them waiting out this season. I just think with the way their team is presently constructed, I don't have enough faith in DeAndre Ayton as a number two, although I think he's skilled offensively. He is a scared, <laughs> scared to attack the basket despite being seven foot, 200 pounds of raw muscle. And Ubre, even though I think he's really good, is not a third guy on a championship contender team. So Woj chirps in again, and I just was the first one to see my phone. Um, Justice Winslow is the guy going back to Memphis for Andre Iguodala per Wojnarowski. Um, we don't have any more at this point. That may be the only thing. It may not be. Who knows? That is so bad Yeah. by the Heat. Justice Winslow is significantly better. He's younger, and now you're paying Iggy significant money. Winslow, I understand that he's... I don't know when he's coming back. Uh, according to Basketball Reference, he'll miss the next two weeks. I mean, he's missed almost the entire season, but man, is he good when he's out there. He's an awesome playmaker. He's super defensively versatile. He's good enough as a shooter. He's a crafty scorer. And to give that up for a 36-year-old who I guess basically has Winslow's skill set except is less dynamic athletically and is an inferior scorer, he, he has the leadership. That is the only basketball advantage I can think of for him. I think you're looking at this the wrong way. The Tell Grizzlies me. now have oh, that's John true. Morant, Justice Winslow, oh my God, Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark. I mean, I love this. And by the way, that actually works as a starting five positionally. Yeah, they are going to be. If we think we're good in transition right now. Winslow can be a weapon in transition because of his ability to run the floor handling the ball and find people that way. You're talking about another guy now that can run the brink with Dylan Brooks in the corner, with Brandon Clark as a rim runner, with Triple J as a guy that can either space the floor or run to the rim. This team may play as fast as anyone we've ever seen over the next five years, and they are going to be fun, and they are going to be good. What a great break starter, too, because now John Moran doesn't have to get the outlet. He can just run to the rim and go dunk. I know, which is incredible because we've seen Jaw catch lobs. He's easily dynamic enough athletically, and to have a guy that can find him and can see over everything, like, wow, this is really exciting. 
I just I just don't get it. I I don't understand. Carson can can you Make think through sense. what Miami's thinking? I'm thinking one of two things. There are serious problems with Justice Winslow's health mm-hmm. or they got sucked in by the big name or something and I don't know but just one more thing that is making my mouth water about this Memphis team going forward. The defensive versatility of their front court with Brandon Clark and his insanely long arms and his ability to guard three through five. Triple J is defensively versatile. And now Justice Winslow. Wow. They are going to be exciting. Okay. So another development with a team option for the 2021-2022 season. Iggy is allowing the Heat to keep salary cap flexibility for free agency, i.e. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Okay. The Grizzlies had to have given up something else. Like, it just doesn't make sense a straight-up Winslow for Iggy trade. Yeah. I literally cannot comprehend what the Miami Heat were thinking. Are you guys enjoying these live reactions that you're getting? No, I mean, this is this is crazy to me. That doesn't make any sense. If they are going all in on this one season so they can have a guy that's actually healthy, I am I'm baffled by Why this. Why not just trade waiters plus seconds? Why? (laughs) This is a Miami team that has been so well run. They have found more diamonds in the rough this year with Mm -hmm. Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, who's one of the best pure shooters in basketball. Hero, maybe not a diamond in the rough, but getting him with the 14th pick for him to be as good as he is right now. They've been incredible. Even the development of Bam, they've been great this season. And this is an inexplicable move from what's normally such a smart organization. Hey, Miami, I have a newsflash for you, okay? Break the news. You cannot win a title with Kendrick Nunn as your second best offensive player. It You just can't do it. Yeah. So why are you going all in on this season? Yeah, that was their best trade chip. A really movable contract, uh, enticing player with a good skill set. Their best young. trade chip they'd be willing to give up. Yeah, because they're, they're not, not giving, giving up Hero. Yeah. Um, I'm... I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated to see how it works out. If I had to wager, I bet this is an older Pat Riley knowing that, you know. A senile Pat Riley. <laughs> no, not even you saying say that. It. You can say it. I think this is Pat Riley realizing that it's kind of winner go home time now. And he doesn't know how many more years he's going to have in that chair. And this puts them potentially in a position where contending looks a little bit more feasible this year. I just don't think Andre Iguodala is better than Justice Winslow right now even. But he he, got lured into the the Lakers and the Clippers wanting him, so a true title contender must certainly want him as well, which he wants the Heat to be. That's the only logic I can think of. I'm pretty baffled by this. I'm just laughing because I'm thinking about how old people go to Florida to retire, and there goes Iggy (laughs) venturing back off to Miami. Yeah, this is a strange one. So we've had some action live on the pod. We've had a couple of actual significant deals go down now before the trade deadline. Before we go, are there any more big-time relevant deals that you guys see happening? Not that I see happening, something I want to happen. Okay, go ahead. I implore you, Milwaukee. Eric Bledsoe is not going to be the guy for a championship team. But there is a guy out there that may or may not be movable, and his name is Drew Holiday. I think the fit makes so much more sense. I think he's going to actually be able to shoot the dang ball in the playoffs, unlike Drew Bledsoe. And I, it just it makes way more sense. And I just said Drew Bledsoe. You did. And it was it was <laughs> wonderful. I think that 
The issue with that is, I think the issue is twofold. Bledsoe's having an awesome season, particularly He always does. That's true. And I listen, I'm not going to put my faith in Eric Bledsoe at the end of the season either. And that's why I still can't confidently say Miami, uh, excuse me, not Miami. My, we're just going crazy here now. Milwaukee's even my pick to make the finals because Bledsoe as a third guy is really concerning. But I think they love him in Milwaukee. And the other issue is the Pelicans don't seem to want to move off of Drew Holiday. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense to me because his contract's not all that bad, especially when you consider their timetable where they have young guys. He, have, he has two years left. It's like $25 million a year. And they want to be good because with B.I. continuing to develop, with Zion next year, Lonzo Reddick, I mean, they put legitimate veterans on this team so they could be good. And with, with a full squad next year, they will be a playoff team. But, so, like, Bledsoe is not that much worse Theoretically, he's a worse fit, definitely. Well, yes, definitely. But Milwaukee would send back the indie pick, which would be which is worthwhile. I, I don't think it's but far also, off. It's the twenty third pick in a week draft, so I don't know if that's going to do all that much for them. Uh, for me, I mean, I think you have to hold on to Drew Holiday. He brings too much to the table, yeah. and I mean, don't get me wrong. I think if Milwaukee could swing this, but what do they give up? Bledsoe in the in the indie first. And like Wilson or something, one of their younger players that could potentially be interesting. I I don't see it happening, but I also don't see what I'm about to say happening. But my ideal trade would also be a Drew Holiday deal, and it would involve the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. Because the Nuggets, <laughs> of course, they've had all this depth for all this time. And all they've needed is a really great number two option. And I love Jamal Murray. I consider him to be a brother of mine. I own a shirt that says this guy loves Jamal Murray, but he's just not reliable enough. And I want them to go in. I want them to go all in on someone. And Drew Holiday could be that guy. And it's not going to happen. Carson, I'm going to say it. Okay. You're a closet Denver Nuggets fan. I like the Nuggets a lot. They're really fun to watch. Anytime I think we've ever talked about any trade asset on this podcast, you've gone, well, you know, if the Nuggets made a trade for them. But it's because they're so close. I Right now, I do not see a world in which they beat either LA team. I think their ceiling isn't quite high enough. And if you add your holiday to that team, I absolutely see a world. And you can work out the Murray-Holiday fit. I understand they're both really point guards. I guess they're both kind of combo guards, but I think they're both naturally point guards. It's different defensively because they like to play a lot of wings, but you throw Gary Harrison there, you throw Monte Morris in there, you throw the first-round pick you just got, that's probably enough to get you in the door, even with Gary Harris's value having dropped off because he's having a terrible season. I don't know. I, I don't think the Pelicans would do it, but I think it would be great for the Nuggets. If you're really in win-now time and you really don't know what Michael Porter Jr. is going to be injury-wise, is that impossible? Is that impossible? A straight-up Michael Porter Jr. for Drew Holiday. Obviously, you'd have to do things to make money work, but those are the fulcrum points. Is that off the table? I think that's off the table. Okay. He's looked too good, and they have done nothing but sing his praises since before this season, and I think it's tough to see happening. But I don't know if that's necessarily the right move because the Nuggets, as currently structured, are not good enough to win a title. And if they want to win 55 games for 10 years, that's fine. They need one more guy. And if they get... MBJ could be that one more guy. MBJ could be that guy, but if you add Drew Holiday to this team, uh, I mean, they could be that team this year. They really could. They really could. They could be a title team if they add Drew Holiday. And they're just not right now, in my opinion. No, they're not. Another Drew Holiday point of intrigue that I had, Dallas. Could Dallas swing something? DeLon Wright plus stuff to make money work. I don't think they have enough assets. They can't trade their first round pick. Right. Because of the Stepien rule. Dumb rule. And 
Yeah, it's an interesting rule. I don't know if it's dumb, but it probably is dumb. It you shouldn't. Really you sense. shouldn't have to protect teams from themselves. I agree. I agree. And I also don't know. This is the thing with Dallas, and I wonder if this will be an issue going forward. Is they never want the ball in anyone other than Luka Doncic's hand. And Drew Holiday takes the ball out of Luka Doncic's hand. So I don't know. Logan, what do you think? I don't really see a Dallas trade happening. I don't think they have the assets like you said. I think they're going to try to build a little more through the draft, try to come up with some crafty trades. I think they almost locked themselves in with Kristaps, and I'm hoping that next year it it proves that it was the right call because you remember at the time, Carson, when the Porzingis trade went down, I was shaming New York. I thought it was a bad deal for them. As was I. I think New York knew a little more bit, a little bit more about the injury than us. So I'm hoping Kristaps come back, comes back and doesn't make this look like a bad trade for them. But yeah. I don't see a Drew Holiday coming around the corner. I just, you know, Tim Hardaway's been great this year. He has been very good. But it, Tim Hardaway plus DeLon Wright, how far are we? Not close. Not close. Not close. Okay. Those dudes for for New Orleans' timetable, that's minimal value. I think. So on that note, me shutting down Peyton Gallagher, or excuse me, <laughs> Peyton T. Gallagher, who, uh, of course. as always, it was a pleasure to have you on, Peyton. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Nerd Sesh NBA Trade Deadline Special. I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. We hope you enjoyed.